0: Circular conversations from hell, part two. I'm Renee Swanson, and I'm going to continue talking to you about the, what we were talking about in the last episode. The last episode was about the circular conversations from hell, and I've got eight signs of these conversations, and and I want to just pick up where we were. You know, the the circular conversations they're not uh, they're not conversations; they're competitions. And when you're dealing with a covert narcissist, every every single conversation of any sort. Is susceptible to becoming a competition and even flat-out warfare so those eight signs I, I went through three of them last time I'm gonna mention them briefly here and we're gonna move into the rest of the, of the signs number one was you find yourself teaching a full-grown adult about basic communication skills and basic human emotions and basic just common decency Number two, you find yourself thinking, Hey, if I could just find the right words, then he would stop treating me this way. If I just, it's, it's all on me. If I could just find the right way to explain it, then he would listen. Number three is these conversations are antagonistic and combative. They, they cause the guards to go up. Everything is all about them and how they were offended or how they were hurt and, and that you are now defending yourself. So those three We did last time and and you can go back and listen to that episode if you want more detail on them. So number four, there is no resolution in a circular conversation with a covert narcissist. You know that place when you've been in a heated discussion with a loved one and you feel reconciliation. That moment when both people are sorry, both take on some of the responsibility, some of the blame, they both shoulder it, they both carry it. And they both feel humbleness, honesty, and compassion. And in that moment with that loved one, you feel so open and so connected with each other. Well, with a covert narcissist, this place of reconciliation does not exist. Never, never. You will never, ever, ever get there with a covert narcissist. It does not matter Whether you are in the original heated discussion or you are in the hundredth discussion trying to get the resolution. It's not going to happen. These discussions can last five minutes or five hours. It doesn't matter. You can find the words that you think, finally. I remember in a conversation with my husband, I thought, finally. Finally, I have found words that he could understand. I thought at that point, you know, I, I know how his mind works. I know how, how he's thinking. And I finally, we'd been married for 15 years. Finally, I found a way to explain it. These are words that he can get. And he looked me straight in the face and said, I don't have a clue what you are talking about. You will never get to a point of reconciliation with a covert narcissist. You will never find that peaceful and compassionate Ending. Number five, they use the topic switcheroo. If a narcissistic person does not like the direction of the current discussion, I guarantee you that they're going to switch it around. I'll give you an example, a personal example. It came from, you know, we we finally decided to try marriage counseling. So it came from a session with a marriage counselor. And and I thought, you know, why not? I've got what what else do I have to lose? My marriage was falling apart. I was gonna walk away from this marriage. So fine, you want to go to marriage counselor, let's try it. So we're there. You know, we're trying to find some middle ground in order to save our marriage. We are down to the last few months of our marriage. And here's how the discussion went. He says, or or spoke up and said, I have asked you to tell me what it is that I'm doing so wrong in our marriage, and you won't tell me. So I responded. I have told you so many times. I have told you why I'm frustrated and I'm done telling you, I don't have any words left to explain it. So he, he responds back. I have asked you to tell me right when it's happening, like right when I'm, when I'm hurting you, tell me then. I think the problem really is that you say yes to that and yet you do no. And I said, what does that mean? And he says, you've told me that you will point things out as they happen, and yet you don't do that. And I said, I have pointed them out. I've pointed them out at the time, in the heat of the moment. Well, that doesn't work. And I tried an hour later, after things have calmed down. That didn't work. I tried the next day. Let's give it some time. Maybe when everybody's calmer. That didn't work. I have tried everything I know to try, and now I'm done trying. So arrogantly, He says, so, you see? And he looks at the counselor and says, she says yes, and she does no. And he looks back at me and says, you do that with a lot of things. I sit back in my chair and I said, now, what are you talking about? And he said, I'm talking about the windows in the house. You still haven't gotten the windows replaced, but you said you would. You have got to be kidding me. The windows in the house. Two years earlier, before this day, we had talked about replacing the windows in the house. It was a discussion that we had had. Yes, I then went and got some estimates, and I I talked with him about those estimates, but it went no further than that. For two years, nothing had ever been said about these windows in the house until that day at the counselor, and now all of a sudden, it's all my fault, and it's the example that he chooses to use about how I say yes and do no? Because the windows of the house have not been replaced. And the other piece of the question I want to say is, since when did that become my job? We're a team, right? You've got a part in this too, right? Number six, they play the eternal victim. This victim role that a covert narcissist can play is amazingly, like, they are amazingly good at it. Like, I mean, it's just, they can turn anything, anything, anything at all into a victim, uh, into their victim role. Like anything can become an offense, a hurt, and all of a sudden now they're a victim. And And some of their favorite phrases are, well, you know, I had a tough childhood or my dad or my mom treated me badly. You know, I have a low self-esteem because of my childhood. Nobody likes me. Everybody is against me. Poor me is their attitude. Well, these become excuses. They become crutches. And I'm not taken away from maybe they did have a tough childhood. You know, a lot of people did. There's nothing special about them that they had such a tough childhood. Look at the number of people that have tough childhoods. But they use them as excuses and crutches. And they play that victim card over and over and over. Everybody then, so the the intimate people in their relationships feel bad for them and let them off the hook. You know, they don't have to fix anything about them. They can go merrily on treating their people however they choose. And this victim role prevents them from ever having to take responsibility or accountability. So one time I was trying to explain to my husband how his quickness to be offended hurted, hurt those around him. He was so quick to be offended. And it, and it hurt. It hurt everybody. And I told him about this. And so he asked for an example. So I said, all right. I said, there was one evening he was cleaning up the kitchen and he was emptying the dishwasher. And I asked our son, our son was like eight or nine years old. I asked our son to go help him empty the dishwasher. Well, this offended him so badly that he stormed out of the room and closed himself, you know, upstairs in the guest room for like 45 minutes. I finally went up to talk to him about it. And he told me at the moment that the way I had communicated with him That he took it to mean that I was saying he was an idiot because he's not capable of emptying the dishwasher by himself. And that that really hurt his feelings so bad he had to go upstairs and cry. So, I I mean, I asked him, why would that even cross your mind? Like, I don't even understand how you can turn that into a hurt. Well, now I'm using this as an example. I'm like, I'm giving him this example. Well, he doesn't even remember. He says, "I I don't remember that even happening but he sits right there and explains to me how he could see himself reacting that way. He says, I I could see that. I could see how that would hurt my feelings. And he added, you know how much I struggle with feeling worthless. I was treated so bad by my dad, you know that. Well, this repeatedly became an excuse for him, a justification and a hindrance. The hindrance is he never worked at getting better. This attitude of, you know, you have to get off my back because I struggle with self-esteem and your words are damaging me. This attitude allowed him to just continue feeling sorry for himself and he never had to fix anything. Number seven, you walk away thinking what in the world just happened. These conversations are like no other conversations around. Your head is left spinning. You will feel as though you have used every ounce of energy you have and yet have accomplished absolutely nothing. You can replay the conversation over and over in your head for hours or days, and and you will. Most victims do. You obsess over it. You know, I should have said this, or I could have said that. I could have done this better. I could have said that. And you now have a million arguments laid out in your head. These are a million arguments that will never, ever get spoken to that person. They will be left unaddressed. You know, the the initial conversation, you just walk away with your your head spinning so fast number eight they give you the silent treatment and i'm not referring to that silent treatment that might last days on end you know some some narcissistic people do use that type of silent treatment but i'm actually talking about a silent treatment that is extremely direct and personal purposeful it's it's a little hard to describe so bear with me when he became offended by something i had said done or not said or not done it was immediately crystal clear not because of what he said, but because of what he didn't say. It was his body language and this lack of words. It was, it was an intense silence. He had this way of existing in space that communicated to everyone around him that he was not happy. He would stare at absolutely nothing in this very contemplative manner and complete silence. The silence could last for a few minutes or it could last for several hours. It created a tension in the room that I cannot describe in words. The grip of that tension was mental, emotional, even physical. My whole body, my whole insides would just crawl, would just curl up in a ball. And, and the tension would just flow through my body and tightness all over. Getting out of this entrapment. Proved to be the most difficult thing I think I've ever tried to do. Staying took an incredible toll on, on me, on my body, my mind, my heart, and my soul. But, but, but walking away was just almost impossible. Why? Because I, I, you feel like you need to stay because you feel like you need to hear them out to, I mean, you again, because it's that desire for reconciliation. You so badly want the reconciliation that you're willing to endure these conversations from hell just to try to get there, but you don't ever, ever get there. So if you find yourself really feeling like something is really, truly wrong in the conversation, with, with your, you know, significant other or with a family member, whatever, whoever the covert narcissist is in your life, listen to your instincts. You know, these circular conversations do take different shapes for different people, but many of the overall characteristics are the same. One thing though, is always for sure. The one that's on the receiving end of this conversation, if you call it that, it's this, this combat, this conversation from hell, that one person on the receiving end, They are left feeling emotionally drained and completely hopeless. Learn to cut these conversations off before they even get started. You have the right to walk away. So if you feel like this conversation is about to stir up between you and that that significant other person, walk away. Leave the conversation before it can even get off the ground. Please accept that you're not going to find reconciliation with him. It took me a long time to realize that, but once I truly accepted it, I quit trying to find it, you know, so hard. I I was digging in for all it was worth trying to find reconciliation with him. When I let it go and I knew I was no longer, I I just, that was no longer my search because I knew it wasn't going to happen. Well, then I could walk away. Before the conversation, even we'd get off ground, when he went into that moment of silent treatment, that moment of, oh, you've hurt me and now I got to ponder this, I left. Leave the room. Hey, I got to go out for a little while. I'm headed to the grocery store. Leave. It's on him if he wants to then try to bring it back up later. And many times in my situation, he did not. So no one, no one has the right to treat you that way. No one should ever be forced to sit through these conversations. I never dreamed how much I would actually enjoy podcasting. When it was first suggested to me, I'll be honest, I was a bit intimidated by the thought. But when I found Anchor, I quickly realized how easy this was going to be. Anchor provides me with the tools to record and edit right within their program. I don't need additional software. I didn't even need to know how to distribute the podcast because they do it all for me. I would not be where I am today as a podcaster without Anchor. It's all you need and completely free. If you are looking to get started, download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started.